Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Real Person, Real Needs podcast. I've been talking about this for a little while. It's finally happening. Um, our first guest on the podcast, Marianne Lynch from Habitat for Humanity in Montgomery County. Uh, she is the executive director who uh, I happened to reach out to, and she got back to me very quickly, uh, which I was very happy and surprised by. Um, we got together and met, had a great conversation, and um, I thought it would be a great conversation to redo and record for the podcast, and she was kind enough to accommodate us here. And um, so we're just going to have a conversation. She's going to share about her history with Habitat for Humanity, how she got into this line of work, and then also some of the things they're looking to accomplish in 2016. And um, the goal here is just to get the word out about what Habitat for Humanity is doing, how it aligns with our vision, real person, real needs. And uh, for any of our listeners, if you uh, really hear this and this is the first time you're really getting an in-depth discussion about Habitat for Humanity, hopefully it'll pique your interest so that you'll check out the website see some of the reports and the different events that they do to raise money and the work that they do. And you'll, uh, like myself, begin to contribute to the work that they're doing in your local area. Or uh, if it shares the area that we're in, we'd love to have you help out as well. So, Marianne, welcome. Great. Thanks Thanks. for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, So why don't we just start off, you can give like a summary of what Habitat for Humanity or how it was, how it started, and and the primary work that you do. Sure. So we um, we started in Norristown uh, 26 years ago um, as an all volunteer organization. Um, there were a lot of um, concerned civic groups and churches that came together and realized that um, the habitat model fit really well with with what was going on in Norristown at the time. Um, we've never been sort of your traditional habitat. Uh, you know, when people think of habitat, they think of new construction and people raising walls. Uh, but then it didn't really fit our model here in Norristown and in the Northeast. We have a lot of aging housing stock. Um, there were a lot of empty ba- uh, empty buildings, abandoned buildings. So um, from the get-go, we started doing gut rehabs of buildings. And what that means is, you know, we would go in and basically pull everything out of a, a shell, essentially, and then rebuild it from the inside out. We do a lot of row homes. Um, single family homes too, but, but didn't really get into new construction until we'd been in Norristown for about 15 years. So it's, um, it's been definitely an evolution. Um, and it's funny though, because now with, um, our environmental focus, we believe that going back to, you know, making sure that we're doing rehabs, um, is a pretty important part of who we are and, uh, what we do within the County. Yeah. Like for me, my, just like you said, my initial thought is people, you know, barn raising, or, right, you know, like exactly. that image that you yeah. get of everybody banding together. Yeah. But something I actually think is, is, is what drew me to it is as I went on the website and saw the Montgomery County PA bent, for lack of a better word, was the revitalization. Correct. Which uh, was what excited me from the real person, real needs, because one of my, you know, sentences that I use is creating and restoring homes, mm-hmm. which I think oftentimes people forget about like, oh, the, the sad little house on the corner or right. whatever, you know, and every time my wife and I, when we're driving around, we always see like, you know, right here on the corner, there's plenty, you know, on yep. Germantown Pike, there's so many just houses that are condemned or whatever, and they're never going to do anything with them. Right. Because right. they used to be an old farmhouse or whatever. And we're always like, oh, if somebody would just buy that and fix it, you know, yes. even yeah. though it's right on the road, it can still be a, a habitable space for somebody or exactly. however that's pronounced. But. Exactly. And that's, um, that's kind of how we got into um, neighborhood revitalization. So we were sort of doing it organically. Um, started out working pretty um, intensely on Cherry Street in uh, Norristown. 
And over the years, um, we've actually done 19 homes on, um, you know, the, from the 500 to the 1,000 block of Cherry Street. So we have a lot of homeowners in that community. But, um, you know, I think particularly when the recession hit, it was really difficult for um, habitats in general to sort of continue to build new construction when all of these people were being foreclosed on and these neighborhoods were falling apart. And so Habitat International kind of looked around and said, you know, there's more that we can be doing here. We really need to be um, focused on neighborhoods and preserving whole neighborhoods rather than just continuing to build new homes. So they created, um, I, I don't want to say they created, they expanded their mission to include stabilizing homes and neighborhoods in addition to just building new construction or, or rehabbing homes. And that's where neighborhood revitalization was born. Um, as soon as we heard that Habitat International was going to be launching this initiative, we jumped on it. Uh, for us here in the Northeast, it totally made sense for the communities we serve, Pottstown and Norristown. You know, we could see that even having 19 homes on the street in Norristown was great. But it, there wasn't a tipping point to make that neighborhood um, even better, to make it even safer and trash-free and things like that. There really had to be some concentration on community development and the community itself in the neighborhood. And so they started laying out sort of the, the pathway to neighborhood revitalization, how it's, yes, it is physical. You're doing um, home rehabs, you're doing repairs, doing preservation of the homes, but you're also getting involved in the community as well and bringing in other partners to have that conversation with what assets the community has and what they'd really like to see the community become and that to us made a lot of sense we already mm -hmm. knew all the people who lived there um we knew some of the frustrations they were having we were seeing some of the property values drop yeah. and so um we we wanted to continue to invest in the community because we had already invested so much before that's cool so. I, I just well <clears throat> if we could press pause for a second um because I'd like I, I can tell just by talking to you that you're it's still a passion of yours, mm -hmm. so it's not just going through the motions, which is exciting. Um, so I think this would be a good time to kind of just talk about how you found yourself at Habitat. I don't know if you came over as the executive director or did you kind of work your way up through the ranks and you know um, just kind of you know either what, what you went to school for or you know what kind of got you on the path sure. that you're on. Because that's one thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast is not just real estate related community things but also people's journey and mm -hmm. how they hopefully can get to the point where they feel like they're doing what they were born to do right so that, i think a, i'm there yeah. that's good that's exciting <laughs> um, so that's uh, one of the reasons I, yeah. I felt like it would be a good fit so yeah if you could talk a little bit about how you got to this point sure um so i um i actually majored in sociology in college okay. and um thought i was going to be a social worker um but I wasn't very good at it. I didn't like it very much. So, um, so for a while, I kind of floated around. Um, I worked at a culinary school. I was a property manager. Kind of did a few other things. And um, out of my work at the culinary school, I uh, I saw a job at the Vermont Food Bank. I lived in Vermont for about ten years, and it was a really cool job because it was sort of the other side of food. You know, in, at the culinary school, it was very opulent and very kind of excessive. You know, around the way that they deal with food, and the food bank sort of took that other side of it and having gone through a personal experience um uh with food insecurity where my son and i were struggling to make ends meet we lived in a house that was too expensive for us which a lot of our families yeah. deal with 
and um, we were really struggling. And so I ended up having to use a food shelf personally. And so when I did that, um, it really hit home to me as to how many families are struggling with this. I kind of always knew that I would pull myself out of it, but I just thought for the for the families who, number one, didn't know that that resource existed, and then number two, um, didn't feel that they were deserving of that resource, I could be a real advocate for them. So that's kind of how I started my journey into nonprofits. And then, you know, once things got stabilized for my son and I and, and I wasn't able and I was able to to feed us and yeah. house us and everything, I really wanted the stability of a home for he and I. Um, it was it was very frustrating. Within his first seven years of life, I think I moved five times. So that's that's pretty tough on a, a seven year old kid. It's very hard and they don't feel secure in their space and they always feel like the other shoe is going to drop and something's going to happen. Um, and so I was very fortunate to meet my soulmate, my husband, who we ended up getting married and moving to the home that we've now been in for 10 years. And so that's created the stability that he, he has needed, but I could just see that, you know, you could see that putting a child in a home that's a home that's owned is so important to their, Security. They yeah. just feel like it's, you know, they're not going to move again and again. And you could tell some of his behavior problems, some of his problems at school were stemming from the fact that he always thought he couldn't put down roots. And, um, you know, he went to three elementary schools in seven years, and that was oh, tough on him. Yeah. So um, just being able to provide that stability in my own life kind of led me indirectly to, to Habitat as well. I knew about it when I lived in Vermont, but then um, got married, moved to Pennsylvania, bought a house. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, it wasn't the right path, but I knew for a lot of other people, it could absolutely be the right path to, to help their kids feel that stability long term. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, out of that, I had obviously started doing some work in nonprofits, had worked at the food bank. I worked as um, an executive director of a, a reading and mentoring program in Vermont for a little while. And I think my degree in sociology set me up really nicely for that. Um, my passion, I'll be honest, is fundraising. I love, <laughs> I love raising money because you connect people um, who have the ability to make life-changing gifts to the people who can benefit from those gifts through the power of a story and through the power of impact that you're able to have in the community. And it's not, you know, it, everybody says, oh, I don't know how you do that. How do you ask for money? I'm like, I don't see it that way. I see myself as a conduit between those who have the resources to be able to help those who don't. Yeah. Um, and what I like about Habitat is they're helping people who don't have resources build their own opportunities. It's not that they are giving them a handout. We always say we yeah. give a hand up, not a handout. So it's really giving them the tools to build long-term wealth, to get into an own home so that their, their children have more of a future because of it. So I love that connection. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome because that's the thing that I've really been excited about is using either you know your God-given creativity or your, your heart or your passion or the resources that you've been blessed with or the platform that you've been handed mm -hmm. or given or worked for to to build, uh, you know, to, to spread the word to a like-minded community. Because it's never going to be for everybody, but finding those people that are like, yes, this is what I've been looking for mm -hmm. and banding together and then being able, I'm sure, like being able to actually say like, I did that for right. these people that are either donating or building or volunteering or whatever it is there's something a lot more gratifying to be able to actually like put your stamp on it and say like i did that instead of just like 
blindly mailing a check or, you know, like having something auto deducted from your account, which a lot of times we, we do for like the things that we, we care about, but to be able to like look down the street, you know, if you live in the area, drive by where, that yeah, house exactly and be right. like, yeah. I helped build that. Yeah, yeah. like um, you had mentioned a thing about hand out and mm-hmm. uh, it, it brought to mind a thought that I had had, not personally, but uh, something I wanted to discuss on the podcast because I'm sure you deal with it a lot is. Uh, what are some of the myths that you feel like you're kind of always bursting through or knocking down when, or, or, you know, when people have an obstacle to working with Habitat? Not sure. necessarily from the people who need the help, but the people that you're trying to either fundraise from yep. uh, or, you know, spread the word about. What are some of those oh, things? Oh, that's yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> number one. <laughs> so I felt uh, like there's probably a lot. Number so. one, we don't give away houses. Yeah. Um, I think that's the number one uh myth that people believe about Habitat. We actually sell the homes to families who make between 30 and 60% of the median income for the county for a 0% mortgage, um, 0% interest mortgage. And that basically means that we are selling, if the house costs $80,000, they are paying on $80,000 over the course of 30 years. Um, it doesn't ever get higher than that. And so it helps them build that wealth that they really need to, to build. Um, number two, we were not founded by Jimmy Carter. Um, he's, he is a great volunteer yeah. and has been a tremendous advocate for our organization, but he actually didn't found it um, back in the day. It was founded by a couple named um, Millard and Linda Fuller, and um, their work on a, a farm called Quinonia Farm. They, they had worked with a gentleman who they realized at the end of the day, every day he went home to a shack that was absolutely substandard, didn't have running water. And they thought they, it really bothered them. You know, they thought no one should have to live in conditions like this and realized that they could not only help domestically, but they could help internationally as well. So that's our, our founder. Um, I would say, um, oh, number three, uh, that you do not have to be a Christian to either own a Habitat home or get involved with Habitat. Um, we are an ecumenical Christian ministry, but to us, that means that all are welcome. Um, any, any, um, shape, creed, color, race, etc. all are welcome through these doors. And we will, we are excited to work with lots of different cultures, lots of different individuals, lots of different religious religions, or no religion at all. Um, we feel that everybody is called on this earth to help each other. And in whatever form you're yeah. able to do that, Habitat's a great um, opportunity for you to, to pick up a hammer and <laughs> help alongside your neighbor. Which is so. funny that you say that third one because <clears throat> I'm, I'm not too outspoken on the podcast, but I am a Christian as well. And that was actually probably the last thing I found out about Habitat, mm-hmm. which is I find really interesting. So it's it's like you said, it's like there there are foundational ethics that are are shared across right. all creeds, colors, religions, whatever. And I feel like the desire to have a safe place where you can call home is probably one of those. It's universal. Absolutely. I just like, it's, so. it's interesting that I, I think it appeals uh, the, the method uh, and, and, and the things that Habitat does appeals to everyone, regardless of whether they believe in a higher power or not. Right. Because it's something tangible, yeah. you know, like, um, so I, I found that really interesting is that, that, I, I actually wasn't aware of that until I, I started doing research. Like, I had heard about Habitat for Piano, and I had heard the things about them giving out houses right. and all that stuff. And right. I always kind of thought that yeah. was odd. And, and I felt like just knowing the people in our society, not to, to point or, or, or accuse other people of having ulterior motives or whatever, but I, I do – I hear people say things like, well, why do you want to just, like – if people are in this situation and, they're you know, they're very close-minded and mm-hmm. they think, like, well – Somehow they they cause this problem right. themselves. Right. Why would I want to help them 
by just giving out free stuff. Right. And that's not what Habitat does. And I think that's important that people know that. As a donor, you're an investor. You're investing not only in the families who are going to benefit from a 0% mortgage, but also you're investing in your own community. You're providing, you know, you're taking homes that were previously abandoned or blighted, putting them back on the tax rolls that are going to help the community serve itself better. These, These families, my families pay... $170,000 $170,000 in taxes back to Montgomery County and back to the, the areas that they live in per yeah. year. So wow. this isn't, you know, we've had 60 homeowners. This isn't yeah. um, a fly-by-night organization. We act as the bank, so these families pay back their um, their mortgages as well as their, their um, taxes and their insurance back to us. And then, you know, we make sure that their taxes are paid through the county and through the boroughs that they live in. Um, it's it's a significant amount of money that goes back into the community to invest in better roads, to invest in better schools. You know, all these things happen because these families have that stability of home ownership right in the community. Yeah. And I think that that's something that people don't realize um, that we do. We we are the bank, so. Um, in addition to being able to pay their escrow, we also take the money that they pay in their principal, and then we apply it towards other projects throughout the community. Um, you know, in addition to home ownership, like I said, we do uh, home repairs, and not only do we do those in the areas Norristown and Pottstown, where we have revitalization zones, which are small communities where we're really focusing intensely, but we also do that around um, all of Montgomery County. So we're preserving the housing stock in the entire county, as well. And and when you look sort of larger picture of that you know if you're able to keep somebody who's 65 in an owned home and not um have them go to some sort of nursing care which is going to cost them four or five thousand dollars per month this isn't per year this is per month you are able to keep the stability of that family you're able to help the community not have the burden of paying that much for somebody to live in some sort of managed care and you're preserving that home as well so that long term it's better for the community so that's a that's a big part of what we're doing now is the repair program and then in addition to that we are um we're focusing on the other side of this equation which is the financial literacy piece Um, One of the biggest barriers we see for people getting into either a Habitat home or a traditional mortgage is their understanding and relationship with credit as well as um, relationship with budgeting and just being able to save long term. And, you know, when you're only making 30 percent of the median income, it's really hard to save. So um, we have a class that is an eight week class, two times a week. Um, People participate in the class. And then their kids can come um, be watched while they're in the class, so that's not a barrier for for them to participate. But we work with Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University as well as um, financial coaches from a lot of the banking institutions and a lot of of other places that help these families move through um, getting a better financial plan and a financial life. And it's great. They might apply for a Habitat home afterward. They may be able to apply for a traditional mortgage afterward. They may decide homeownership's not for them afterwards, but want to get into a long-term, stable renting situation. All three of those outcomes are awesome for us um, because we only, you know, we're only doing five to six houses a year. Yeah. We can't house everybody who comes through the program, but we can set them on a path of stability um, in whatever manner they're going to take um, where they live moving forward. Yeah. So that's, that's our huge, bigger goal. That is a huge piece because I think that mm-hmm. also will dispel. Uh, any myth or fear that um, you're handing somebody a, an invest, investment that's going to be their biggest financial asset right. with no tools, no skills, right. no 
experience. And that, again, is not what Habitat does. And I, I really think that's exciting. I mean, I could, I could probably benefit from some of these classes. I think everybody yeah. could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you know Dave Ramsey, he's yeah. pretty... He's a crazy person about getting people yeah. out of debt, um, and I appreciate that yeah. about the the classes that are taught. We have a facilitator that um, facilitates the the CDs that he does, so we have great <coughs> conversations within the class about debt and choices that you make, and um, some of the choices you know some of the choices come out of struggling to to have enough money to go around but also we look at the other side of that too you know there's choices that you can make in terms of your career you know is there a way that you can make your resume polished a little bit more so maybe you can go after that that better job opportunity that's going to pay you a little bit more so we explore that within the context of the class and i think one of the things that really works in the class is that it's small there's only 12 to 15 families that participate so they're there twice a week for eight weeks. They really get to know each other, and they're encouraging each other to take risks yeah. and, and do some things that maybe they weren't willing to do before, but now they're getting out of their comfort zone. Um, the first class that we just had, we had two families that came out of it who are now um, with better job prospects and have oh, better wow. better paying jobs. So um, that's a win for yeah. me. You know, Two out of the eight families that participated now are getting paid more so that they're on that road to financial stability. That's, that's big for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to something <clears throat> you had mentioned, and a couple things that you had said, but just trying to tie them together, you had, well, one, you hit on how you yourself went through a, a life event that kind of set your, the tra- trajectory of your life going forward. Yep. Um, and you had mentioned being a single mom, which I was raised by a single mom. And I'm very open about, you know, that part of my life and, and how I was raised. But also, um, you mentioned about um, the seniors oftentimes having to be uprooted from the house that they made all their memories in. And right. I, I mentioned that in one of my uh, <clears throat> blog posts. And, and that actually was me personally and my family having to be displaced. I'm not, not, it wasn't like a forceful displacement, but, you know, people, you know, us having to move on from the, the house we were renting and being in a, a situation as a result of the housing market where we own a home that we can't live in because it's tiny. It's a it's a 700-square-foot condo. And all that stuff's available on Real Person, Real Needs. You can read up my story. That's just my plug. But um, the, the thing you mentioned, and I, I that us having to move the last year was such a, it shouldn't have been, but it was such a traumatic experience for our family because it, we felt like, okay, well, what's next? Like, we thought we were on this trajectory. Right. And now we're on this. And it actually was the... <clears throat> the catalyst for my entire reimagining, revisioning of my real estate business, my mission and vision, like, because the people, as I was moving, and it wasn't that big of a deal, but it felt like an emotional trauma, I started to think about the people that had lived in homes for 30, 40 years, or foster children that are never in a stable situation, right. or people that were in a similar situation where they're getting foreclosed on. And, you know, I, I'm not in that situation. Um, and it just totally caused me to reevaluate everything I was pursuing, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, and was the, like I said, the catalyst for this entire new um, pursuit, I guess, of creating um, a movement instead of a business, you Mm -hmm. know, that idea, um, and and the podcast, and all this stuff. So it's kind of cool that, um, like I said, when we talked the last time, um, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, once you start to look back on your life, uh, you start to you, what, what you may think of as haphazard like obstacles or things that took you off the road to your success right were actually just ways to grow to get you to that you know I, I just actually 
not to give too many plugs about myself because this is an interview with you, but uh, I, I wrote a, a blog and, a, and, a, and sent it out and everything, but I was talking about what we wanted to be when we grow up and how oftentimes we think that we're still thinking about that. Like, what mm-hmm. do I want to be? Like, I don't think as 32 that I'm grown up. I right. still think I'm like 15 and I just have way more responsibility, like right. inside, internally. Me too. Yeah. I'm older so, than that, yeah. yeah. I do think that sometimes, yes. But um, one of the things is <clears throat> oftentimes when, when we reach an obstacle and we see the bridges out, we, we read it as turn around and never come back instead of seeing it as, it's going to take a little bit longer for the bridge to be completed right. than we thought. Right. So instead I'm going of, to you know, find the boat. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> to yeah. get across well, yeah, the Oh, yeah, finding another al- yeah. an alternative yeah. mm-hmm. uh, path or, um, you know, whatever that may be. Yeah. But I just find that that's really encouraging because um, I guess both of us having gone through some of those things that could, we could have easily become statistics. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure you deal with a lot of statistics yes. uh, in this, this arena. Um, and, and there are so many people, I'm sure, that when you actually meet them and you talk to them, they're not a statistic. And, and I think that, that going back to the idea of myths, I'm sure that's another thing mm-hmm. that you kind of are always powering through is like, these are people. Like, these are families they're and homes and incredibly yeah. hardworking people. Exactly. You know, our, our families have one, two, three jobs. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, these are not people who are sitting around waiting for someone to save them. These are people who have taken the motivation to... Our our program is not easy. It is is a challenging program. They have to put in 200 hours of sweat equity in order to get the keys to their house. That's a lot of time that you have to invest in something, and it better be worth it. And so these are incredibly motivated people. And so I think that's something that that always speaks to me when I... um, I know every single family personally. Um, I have, you know, having been here a while, you get to know them. But I... um, I, there's something about each one of their stories, and I'm just like, wow, wow, they have had to overcome so much to get to this point. Um, it, it blows me away. Yeah. yeah. And um, I have no right to be, but I'm proud of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to do with their, yeah. their journey, but I'm very proud of, of the yeah. work that they've done and, and what they've been able to accomplish. Um, it's, they're pretty remarkable. I have one lady who, um, she's, in a, she's been in her home for a while, but... She came out of the prison system um, and uh, was her kids were taken away from her. And the only way that she could get her children back was to have a stable place for them to live. And so worked with Habitat for, um, for a long time to be able to create that s- stable environment and then was able to get her children back um, as soon as she was able to show wow. that she had a, a stable home for them. But she didn't stop there. She took that experience and founded a nonprofit that helps women transitioning out of the um, out of incarceration to get back on their feet. Wow. And she has helped over four hundred women get back into society without going back into the the prison system. You know, get jobs, um, get housing, get stable, so that they can then go on with their lives after making a mistake. Um, and I think that, you know, her journey has been such a testament to her own motivation and, and grit, if you will. But, um, it's nice to think that Habitat was a little bit of a part of that, um, a part of, and now, you know, uh, 400 plus other women are benefiting from her experience and the, and the path she has taken. That's a, that's a great story. I think, um, I don't know what the statistics are, but the amount of whether people have been, you know, wrongfully imprisoned or are paying their dues, right? The um, the relapse. I don't know what there's a term for it, but where they 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 go back to prison, right. yeah, because 
it it's changes high. their perspective on who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, and, recidivism. And, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. it's high, mm-hmm. and it's. Um, I think that they they feel themselves being labeled as that. Right. So to be able to knock through that well, this, and to and, overcome what people are trying to label you as and right. say, that's not who I am as a person, and I'm going to show it and prove it by helping other people come to the same understanding and right perspective of who they are as a unique God-created individual. Right. That's huge. And that's huge. a great story. It's a great, I mean, when there, you know, there's 60 stories just like yeah. that. <laughs> Every, we'll I, have to I mean, do a part two yeah, Right? There's just, yeah. there's so many great stories that come out of this um, that I feel very proud to be a part of their lives, that they have, have chosen to work with us because they do have pretty remarkable lives and journeys, and, and you can see that they've learned from them. Um, I have a 17-year-old. And we are looking at colleges right now, and my son, yeah. uh, who, you know, back in the day, this was the, the issue. And, and uh, it's pretty neat that we're looking at colleges because that means that, you know, he's stabilized, he's, he has good grades, he's, he's just a great kid. Yeah. But the conversations we've been having lately have been, you know, you learn more from failure than you do from success. If you just succeed all the time, you don't really learn anything from that. It's when you make mistakes in your life that you learn to either correct your path or um, take that with you to the next experience that you have. And he's, it's really coming full circle. He's really seeing, um, some of the things that, that he's done, that I've done that have really taught him throughout his life. And so as we're looking at colleges and looking at majors, I'm, I'm probably the, the anomaly of parents who I keep saying, you know what, pick something that is that you find passion and you will find a career. I guarantee it. You know, and we were sitting in at, Indiana University of Pennsylvania in their student session for the College of Social Sciences. And they kept saying, you know, believe it or not, you can get a job if you major <laughs> in the social sciences. And I went up to them afterwards and I said, you know, I majored in sociology. And they were like, what do you do? And I said, oh, I run Habitat for Humanity of Montgomery County. And they were like, oh, you're a great example. I said, <laughs> I said, yes, you, you know, there's tons of jobs. I said, I look, when I hire people, I look for people who think who can think critically, who can learn from their mistakes, who can sort of understand the bigger picture because I can train them in the job that I yeah. want them to do. But train them, training them for attitude and for understanding of kind of how the world works, that's so yeah. abstract. I can't do that. Um, and, and just kind of seeing what their place in that world is. So I look for those qualities when I'm hiring somebody. And they were like, oh, my gosh, can we quote you? <laughs> so That's so for awesome. me, I, I, you know, I chose, I chose something. I didn't choose business. I didn't choose engineering. All noble fields. I have no talent in either yeah. one of them. I chose something that was passionate for me. And it's, it definitely has sent me on my way my entire career. That's great. I'm glad you brought mm-hmm. that up because I, you know, I talk about it on the podcast here. Like I'm not a, I'm a high school graduate um, because I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do all these other things that I felt, uh, you know, I did couldn't learn in school kind of a thing. I just was not a school person. Now I love to learn and I love to apply myself. But I think one of my uh, biggest pet peeves is when people don't pursue something that they're passionate about and they go for the thing that everybody tells them is what's going to make them the most success or, you know, get them the most success. And then they change their major three or four times Mm -hmm. and they rack up college loan debt and they still, just like I had mentioned in the last uh, post that I had put up there, uh, and I think it was, uh, yeah, the last podcast actually, when I grew up, was you get to the end of college and you go, okay, like, what do I want to be? Like, you don't know because you're just going through the motions as opposed to allowing your the thing that you always kind of thought you could do, actually going for that thing. Well, what I told Kyle, what I told my son is, you have an obligation 
to do something that's going to impact the world. Yeah. That's why you're here. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, yes, you can be comfortable. Yes, you can make a lot of money. But really, at the end of the day, you have an obligation to, to make your time on this earth the most impactful that you can in whatever way that is, whether it's art or beauty or um, philanthropy or whatever, figure it out, you know, and then make your mark there because you don't, you only have, you know, 80, 90 years to do it. You better get to doing Um, And so I think that, that he gets that from me. You know, he's like, well, what if I want to go into philosophy? I'm like, well, figure out what you're going to do with it (laughs) afterward. Um, But, you know, definitely make sure that you're, you're figuring out how you're going to make your mark. That's awesome. I just have mm-hmm. to say, for any of you listeners out there, that was not a uh, something I asked her to say. I didn't prod <laughs> her in any way. But that is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is uh, putting your feet on the, the ground next to your bed when you wake up and finding out what you were created to do and going and do that. Um, and, and that's how we should wake up every day is thinking about how we can change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm really glad you said that because uh, <laughs> that well, we're, all, yeah. you know, we're thinking a lot that's about right. that right Kendra now Spears, because he's yeah. – uh, He's 17, and he wants to figure out what he wants to do. And and I just keep saying to him, make sure it's meaningful. Yeah. You know, you got to do this for a really long time. Make sure it's meaningful. And he's like, how did you know you wanted to get into nonprofits? I was like, I didn't. Yeah. I went on a lot of different paths before I figured this out. Um, I just, uh, somewhere along the way, my experiences added up to be able to do something that, that made a difference for other people. And yeah. I, and it was I think for me it was out of a fair of social justice or out of a, a sense of social justice and fairness. You know, I just remember how unfairly I was treated as a single mom and how how I was judged and I was like you don't know my story. Yeah, right. You don't know what I what I was going through. I was married, you know. Yeah. I have a college degree. Um and and I was judged by people who had no understanding of my experience mm-hmm. and so I was like you know what I can change that for other people and I'm going to awesome. and so that's that's kind of so I'm trying to get him to see that he can have that conversation with folks too you know he's like how did you know I'm like yeah and I, I just have, know I follow the same path where it's like <clears throat> you, you try a lot of things and it, and it, even though you may fail in those things it hones in or it it brings the brings more into focus what you are made to do. Right. So and every I, experience you have gets you closer to that, to what you're supposed exactly to do, right. I believe. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm not even done. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm doing this for now, and maybe this is supposed to lead to the next thing. Yeah. You have to have a little bit of faith, too. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think for him, we've talked about, like, the opportunity to make money and everything. I'm like, Kyle, you just need to make enough to live off of, yeah. you know, make enough to... to be able to put a roof over your head, put food on your table, put a little bit of money in savings, um, take care of your children. But at the end of the day, how much do you really need? Yeah. And and I think that that's something that he's sort of taking away with him as he moves forward. So that's cool. Actually, that that's a good another man. You're, we're, we should do this all the time together because <laughs> we're just bouncing off each other. Um, that's a good segue because you said it. You know, it's not about how much money you make and that and that thing. And mm-hmm. that was another thing. And I just wanted to say. Um, this opportunity to talk about that, I'm going to be um, sending it out in a newsletter and all that kind of stuff. But I had been talking to you about how can I, how now that I have this vision and how I'm going to do X and Z and all that, like I want to use my real estate business and the platform that I've, I'm building to contribute. So um, effective, I guess, April 1, because we're almost in April now, um, every, um, every residential real estate transaction that I, I do 
10% of my commission up to $250 will be donated to a nonprofit. Um, Habitat awesome. for Humanity being a primary one. And my clients are going to have the opportunity to pick which one. There's going to be three that they can choose from. Uh, I have one that I'm partnering locally, which is Habitat for Humanity. Uh, one nationally, which is Together We Rise, and that's uh, they take care of children in the foster care system. And then globally, there's a, uh, uh, a safe house in Brazil that gets um, women ages 0 to 18 off the street um, and takes them out of the human trafficking um, nice. that goes on in Brazil. So there's, there's three levels of local, national, global that people can contribute to. So uh, I'm excited about that because I feel like it's going to add some validity to what I'm doing and, and again, be able to say, like, I, I did that. Like, I, I already get that feeling when I hand people, you know, their, their keys at settlement table. I don't really typically get to hand it to the, <laughs> the sellers usually do or the buyers. Um, and But to be able to say, like, it's not just about, and I say this, it's not about buying and selling houses. It's about creating homes. Yeah. And um, so I'm excited. And I have two settlements lined up in April. So Yay. I'm excited to be able to hand you a check. At the end of April, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So me um, or the the folks in Brazil, or yeah, or, uh, exactly. Um, so I I, I yeah, think I'm going awesome. to, um, yeah. I think Habitat's going to be the first one. I think I'm going to override the selection. Not that anybody is <laughs> selected. I haven't offered it to them to select, but I I think just based on um, you guys being the the, the first uh, the first tier, I guess I'd like to start local because that's what I'm very committed to my community and living in this community and sharing in it. So uh, I'm excited about doing that. Um, so that was, I just wanted to announce that officially because I've kind of been hinting at it and all that stuff. And, and the info will go out in my newsletter and you can sign up for my emails and you can find out more about that. Um, but also, I guess we've kind of covered a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be good just if there's anything that you're excited about for 2016, um, going, you know, good, looking ahead. Any events that you'd like to share about that people can get involved in? We got a lot and, going on. And any, is there any, any specific um, <laughs> 2016 goals that that Habitat Monco has? Sure. Um, So we are uh, starting a new construction project in Bridgeport. Um, We'll be building four townhomes. Um, We're breaking ground on that in May and hope to be done by the end of next June. So it'll take about a a year uh, to build those. We already have two of the four families identified um, for that. Uh, The other two are in the pipeline. They're just not to the approval process Mm -hmm. yet. So um, so those families will be out there all summer working on their sweat equity, um, getting those done alongside lots of volunteer groups. So if you're interested in getting involved with Habitat, as you know, you can always um, come volunteer with us. Another myth? No, you don't know how to have – you don't need to know construction to yeah, be okay. able to volunteer. Because <laughs> that's where um, I am. I don't know anything yeah, about it. We Even have... though I tricked my wife into marrying me by letting her think that I knew how to – Hammer and nail, but that's not true. Yeah, well, come out and you can learn. <laughs> yeah. um, we have uh, uh, staff who teaches volunteers how to do all the parts of construction from, you know, uh, from foundations all the way up to roofing to everything in between. So um, it's, a, it's a really good way to get some skills yourself, but it's a really good way to meet other like-minded individuals as well and meet the families who are going to benefit. Um, and then in addition to that, we are um, – inc- uh, increasing our neighborhood revitalization area. So we are focused on Cherry Street, Wayne Avenue, and Powell Street and Elm Street in Norristown. But we are taking the show on the road and doing um, the three and 400 blocks of Beach, Walnut, and Chestnut Streets up in Pottstown. Um, so we'll have two neighborhood revitalization zones going simultaneously. Our commitment to both of those communities, um, Norristown, we're in a three to five year commitment. We're about 
18 months into that um, Pottstown, we've committed the same amount of time, at least three to five years in that neighborhood to help um, pull out the assets and um, really help that community find a strong voice. So we're very excited about that. We're doing a rehab in that community simultaneously for 30 Walnut, again, if you want to come out and volunteer. Um, and then we're also doing a lot of repairs and a lot of preservation in the community. To kick it off, we're doing what's called Rock the Block, uh, which is a big community cleanup day on April 15th. So uh, we have lots of volunteers in the queue for that, but there's still a few slots available. It's, it's a one-day fun cleanup event. Um, we're partnering with 11 other organizations, including the Hill School, Montgomery County Community College, Pottstown Borough. Um, I could go on and on. Yeah. There's, so, <laughs> there's too many. Um, and then in addition to that, we, um, we have our, our second Almost Home program starting March 30th. No, March 29th. I'm sorry. Um, and that'll be 15 families. Another volunteer opportunity. Um, if you don't want to swing a hammer, we're looking for childcare helpers um, in that for the kids who are gonna, whose parents are going to be participating, as well as teachers and um, financial coaches. Um, we always need a good a big group of financial coaches because each participant gets their own financial coach for a year um, following the program. That's great. Um, let's see, what else do we have going on? I think, uh, um, and then finally, you know, we have our restore and, uh, yes. I have to put a big plug yeah. in for that because that helps fuel the funding needs for all these other projects. Um, our restore is open to the public four days a week, Wednesday through Saturday, nine to five. And it is where we sell used and surplus building materials, furniture, housewares, cabinets, etc., to the general public for a fraction of its worth. If you're looking to get rid of the stuff, we have a truck that's on the road five days a week picking up items for free. Um, if you're looking to shop, it's a great way to maintain your home if you're um, a homeowner. And you can find lots of treasures there. <laughs> I certainly do. I find lots of things to, to uh, rehab and, and redo. So it's um, it's really fun to, to see what you can find and see what you can re repurpose. Yeah. Uh, we're having a big sale on April 23rd, which is Earth Day, um, to celebrate the fact that we've um, saved a thousand tons of materials from landfills. Oh wow! So if you do the math of that, that's a lot, that's a lot. of materials um, that we've um, diverted from landfills through sales at the restore. Wow! So that's so great. I, I think that's what we have going on. Yeah, There's more, um, but uh, that's that's it. For, oh, and then we're dedicating two houses: one May twenty first, and the other one June twenty fifth. So, and those wow. are both in Norristown. Okay. Well, I'm yep. glad we got to do this podcast, and it's going to be live on uh, March 22nd. So we perfect. get a, a perfect time to get the word out about that for anybody who wants to tune in. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, if, any final thoughts or anything that you think? Um, do what you love, the money will follow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I, yeah. I just, I, you know, investing in your community is one of the best ways that you can have a career that that helps you thrive. Yeah. So, and I'm living proof. Yeah. I, I get to come to work every day and it doesn't feel like work. You know, I'm, awesome. I'm really grateful <laughs> for the, for the things I get to do. Great. So. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in, share the information, get the word out about Habitat for Humanity. I think they do excellent work, especially here in my hometown, Montgomery County, PA, but they're all over the, the country. There, there's also Habitat for Humanity International that you can check out as well. Uh, if you live in this area, uh, where we produce the show, then uh, please check out, uh, get in touch with Marianne or one of her uh, employees so her box isn't inundated. Uh, but I'm sure she'd love to hear from people who are like-minded and excited about what Habitat for Humanity is doing. 
Uh, I know I am, and, and we're excited uh, as a real person, real needs team to, to get plugged in in any way that we can. And hopefully, well, I could get a list of past clients together and we'll build a house someday. <laughs> yeah, we can work on awesome. a house together. That's a, a, that's a, a long-term goal for me is to, to put together a team where we can uh, actually swing a hammer together and say, like, we did this as a team, as awesome. a community, uh, and partnering with Habitat. So thank you for your time, Marianne. Thank you. For more information, yeah. habitatmontco.org. Um, yeah, or follow us on Facebook, uh, both for the Restore and for the affiliate. Yeah, I highly rec- recommend the Restore, too, because I love repurposing stuff, and so does my wife. So get out there and empty those shelves <laughs> <laughs> so they have to get more donations and stuff. And awesome. save save things from landfills. I think that's also – that's an added benefit that's not even on the – on the on the mission and vision i'm sure <laughs> but that's great so all right well thanks a lot for tuning in hopefully uh we can do this again because i think i'm sure we only scratched the surface and uh, it'll be great to have uh marianne back in the future to update us on some of these things that are happening that she's just now rolling out maybe we'll come back at the end of 2016 and say like how did we get you know how far did we get on these projects and stuff i think that'd be really cool so until next time Get out there, do what you love, and the money will follow, as Marianne Lynch said. (laughs) So Godspeed.